Chapter 14 of A Gringo in Manana Land by Harry L. Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 The Revolution in Honduras. Part 1. 1. I started in haste for Honduras, but haste achieved nothing in these lands one of the eccentricities of the average central american republic is that the traveller has little difficulty in entering the country yet having entered finds his departure balked by countless formalities apparently the government is eager to welcome any one but if it can discover that the visitor is a rapscallion is determined to add him to the permanent population slipping into salvador through the back yard i was not required even to display a passport on the day preceding my intended departure from the capital i learned that i must call upon the secretary of foreign relations and convince his excellency of my respectability before i should be permitted to leave a pretty senorita in the outer office of the state department ceased powdering her nose to listen to my plea como no why not senor if you will kindly return the day after to-morrow she smiled sweetly in dismissal and having settled the matter in the favourite latin american fashion reopened her vanity case upon the mirror of which was pasted the photograph of her sweetheart who seemed even more important than this affair of state gringo-like i persisted how about to-day impossible signor the secretary is in conference and the sub-secretary has gone home where does he live quien sabe who knows signor evidently annoyed at my insistence she finally discovered a clerk who professed that he did know he wrote out the address for me a numero blanc calle ten paniente i was only the middle of the morning but it was already fairly hot in san salvador i hiked through sun-blanched streets only a few of which were numbered at length i asked a policeman for directions he glanced at my perspiring forehead and assured me that i was now at the tenth street poniente so i knocked at the proper number and inquired of a servant whether his excellency were at home i learned that he was a coloured gentleman in pyjamas rose from a hammock in the patio and shook hands very cordially not to be outdone in politeness i made an elaborate speech emphasizing my regret at having to leave his delightful country and begging that he would do me the favour to grant permission oh, the permission is yours signor do i not require your visa on my passport not mine signor but that of the sub-secretary of foreign relations i am only an humble employee of the street cleaning department but muchas gracias for your visit always my house is your house at numero blanc seventh street poniente when i did reach the tenth street poniente it was to discover that the address given me at the state department was wrong his excellency lived somewhere else but at last after four hours of a house-to-house -house canvas i found him having obtained the necessary visa i caught the first train to la union on the gulf of fonseca from which one could look across a strip of blue water and see the hills of honduras itself how soon can i catch a boat i inquired the citizens of la union shrugged their shoulders oh, perhaps the day after to-morrow senor or the day after that but quien sabe in the meantime you had better visit the local commandante to secure permission two 
as a matter of fact the boat did not leave for several days la union was the usual type of central american port town a colorless uninteresting little city with numerous buzzards hopping about its mud-flats as hot as blazes and devoid of entertainment i was welcomed at a small hotel with an inquiry as to whether i possessed a watch no one knew the time but since it was growing dark the proprietor assumed that it was nearing the hour for supper a slatternly maid brought out some tableware that had barely survived the last earthquake and served the usual central american meal of beans rice beans chicken beans coffee and more beans on the hotel wall a notice proclaimed that this establishment was preferred not only by tourists but by people of good taste its principal attraction seemed to be berta its beautiful barmaid berta although a rather dark-complexioned young person had a pleasant smile that revealed the whitest of teeth she took great care of those teeth at five-minute intervals she rinsed them with a glass of water and expectorated upon the barroom floor the town bachelors spent most of their idle hours about sixteen each day whispering sweet nothings to berta to which she smiled roguishly but shook her head such was her popularity that she had never learned to open a beer-bottle whenever a patron wished a drink berta had only to glance toward the group of idlers and some energetic young man would step forward to open the bottle by chewing off the top berta was studying english she would sit on the counter with a book before her reciting one two three four fifty sixty eighty tenny the proprietor's wife sat beside her in a large armchair examining my photographs with untiring interest she was rather stout and inclined either to headache or stomach-ache or both she fanned herself with a palm-leaf fan and groaned and exclaimed from time to time ah what heat it is making to-day she would hold up each photograph and inquire what is this the inscription was written on the back of each but the signora did not read spanish much less english berta always interpreted for her with fantastic results a typical guatemala then she would smile again and the scowls of the local swain would suggest that if the boat did not sail pretty soon for honduras the village buzzards would have a change of diet three when the launch did leave for honduras there was further formality it was scheduled to depart a las nueve en punto at nine o'clock sharp with much verbal emphasis on the sharp a squad of salvadorian soldiers managed the dock and halted me at my approach my baggage was placed in the office and the door locked and i was motioned to a bench stevedores were loading the diminutive vessel with a set of dilapidated furniture which did not appear worth transporting from one place to another but which was being appraised by a pompous official and duly taxed while its owner waved his hands and proclaimed that he was being robbed official and owner finally adjourned to the governor's residence to settle the dispute and did not reappear until nearly noon meanwhile the passengers waited cargo difficulties having been adjusted the pompous official called each of us to the office in turn collected a small fee and took our names and histories 
he then compiled a list and sent it away to be typewritten for presentation to the commandante of police after another hour or two the list reappeared covered with huge red seals and flowing signatures there followed next a minute inspection of baggage which in other lands occurs only when one enters the country my notes aroused suspicion the inspector examined each page pretending to read it was i carrying away the country's military secrets the eight barefoot soldiers gathered closer and glared suspiciously these secrets were important but at last we were permitted to embark still with formality the soldiers lined up before the gangway the official read our names from the list and we embarked one by one surveyed by the accusing eyes of authority the captain of the launch took the wheel and jangled a bell as a signal to the engineer three feet behind him the engineer jangled another bell to let the captain know he had understood the signal correctly and we were off for honduras visible just across the bay at some hour of mid-afternoon and ponto four it was a brief voyage through island-dotted waters alive with pelicans and seagulls to amapola the one Honduran port of entry on the pacific situated upon a volcanic island another official glanced idly at my passport and waved aside my baggage without examining it several weeks later when i departed the same official was to raise as much rumpus as the salvadorian authorities had raised but to-day he offered no difficulties within a few minutes we were all back in the launch chugging toward the mainland to san lorenzo where commenced the automobile road to the honduran capital arriving too late to catch the daily truck we settled ourselves for the night san lorenzo was merely a ramshackle village of thatched huts in the jungle a village in keeping with honduras's reputation as the most backward country in central america two chinamen however had opened a neat little hotel there and were ready for business and there was entertainment in plenty for hop on and hop off co-proprietors of the establishment were engaged in discharging their native servant the Honduranian, a big niggerish-looking fellow with murder in his eye, in both eyes to be accurate, was objecting to being discharged. He kept slouching from table to table, picking up dishes and smashing them on the floor. Hop on and hop off were going frantic with rage at each new act of vandalism, but neither of them was of heroic stature, wherefore they resorted to strategy rather than force. They had taken shelter behind two doors at opposite ends of the dining-room, and would pop out from concealment, one at a time, to shout curses at their erstwhile employee. No sooner would the Honduranian rush at one with his knife than the door would slam shut in his face, while the other door opened and the other hop screamed curses from the opposite wall finally tired with the exertion the big native accepted his discharge as final and strolled outside to tell his troubles to the rest of the village which had assembled to watch the excitement they were all ugly visaged fellows they lacked the gentle suavity of the neighbouring peoples they might have been no taller than size b irishmen but after one had dwelt among the lilliputians of guatemala they looked like giants 
a taint of negro blood was evident in their features for honduras which has a long strip of coast upon the caribbean was in past years a favorite refuge for runaway slaves from the west indies and its population to-day is the most heterogeneous in central america little tufts of goat-like whiskers on chin and cheek did not add to their personal beauty altogether this was the least charming race i had yet discovered on my travels having accepted his discharge as final the servant picked up an axe and seated himself cross-legged on the ground before the hotel hoping apparently that the chinamen might venture outside into the gathering dust they continued however to revile him from the security of their two heavy doors until the audience tired and drifted away whereupon the quarrel seemed to die from lack of interest and the honduranian himself having tossed the axe away with a gesture of disgust wandered off down the street supper was finally served on such tableware as remained unbroken the village prostitute aged sixteen then took the centre of the stage and recited for our benefit the story of her life while unfortunates in most lands prefer not to air their sorrows publicly those of latin america find a certain dramatic pleasure in so doing for the next two hours the assembled guests heard the tale of her marriage to the handsome sebastiano of sebastiano's sudden death in an earthquake and of the long succession of gentlemen who had consoled her for sebastiano's demise then some one bought her a drink and she vanished into the night later the honduranian returned this time with a shotgun thereupon the chinamen bolted their doors and everybody retired to bed five i was awakened at four a m by a great pounding upon my door bill a husky american truck driver was going up to tegucigalpa the honduran capital and desired company the business-like chinese were already on the job with breakfast we ate it in a grouchy early morning silence and drove off toward the mountains through an inky black fog i know every inch of the way consoled bill there'll be no trouble unless somebody takes a shot at us or blows up a bridge they haven't started yet but they're likely to any minute somebody cut the telegraph wires last night from time to time as we raced through the darkness stern voices called upon us to halt from the road ahead a group of hard-faced natives would emerge into the glare of our searchlights covering us with rifles they were the federal soldiers barefoot and tattered with nothing to distinguish them from revolutionists they examined my passport ransacked the cargo in search of arms or ammunition and finally permitted us to continue eventually the sun made its appearance revealing the most broken of landscapes the name honduras means depths and the land is well named a forty-five degree slope was considered fairly level here on such grades the peasants had built their patches of cornfield even these patches were infrequent for the whole tumbled country seemed to go straight up or down the road itself scaled precipitous heights and twisted around narrow cliffs where the least mistake of a chauffeur might send a car tumbling over and over into infinity it was all ruggedly beautiful particularly as we climbed into the coolness of six thousand feet above the sea where the hills were covered with pines but it was a cruel country 
such a country as discourages agriculture and effectually prevents the transportation that might open up its vast store of mineral wealth a country suited only for warfare and revolution and from the time of the conquest revolution has been its principal product bill however who had lived here for something over a decade loved both the country and its people they're all right if you know how to handle em take that boy of mine up there on the cargo mighty good boy i got him tied up with rope just now came in drunk and kinder ugly last night but he's comin out of it i'll buy him a bracer at the next stop and he'll be all right best boy on the road bill spoke always with conviction he finished off each sentence with ejaculations suitable only to the pulpit and then he spat i wouldn't go home for a million dollars can't stand the damn sissies back there give me roughnecks i ain't got much use for them society fellows i've got a brother in minneapolis he was a regular guy when we was kids could lick anybody in school but he made a lot of money and married one of them fiddledy diddledies and went all to pieces i came home to see him two years ago he met me at the station with a big car all dressed up in a fur overcoat and he says bill you're just in time for luncheon i looked at him i says i guess you mean lunch don't you he took me to a regular mansion out came the fiddledy fiddledy he says mabel may i present my long-lost brother from honduras christ why couldn't he say bill meet the old woman she holds out her hand way up in the air like they do in the movies and says a charmed i'm sure god he gave the wheel a violent twist and we shot around a mountain cliff he drove along a narrow precipice with one wheel almost hanging over the rugged gulch below they took me down to luncheon one of them big english stiffs in a boiled shirt came out and gave us each a little cup of soup and a cracker i just looked at my brother joe i says ain't this lime juicer going to give us nothing to eat he says we'll have dinner in the evening you'll soon get accustomed to it accustomed hell i says tonight i'll be down at a restaurant getting a regular feed i'll be eating corned beef and cabbage same as you used to eat i ain't sore at you joe i'm disappointed you was a regular guy before you got them society ideas but you don't make a sissy out of me i'm going straight back to honduras he drove along the precipice with savage relish presently as we passed a little native farm in a rugged valley he called my attention to it that's where my wife comes from no fiddly-diddly for me she's an indian pure-blooded indian but she's white whiter'n you are and a damned good wife too we don't take luncheons in our house we eat lunch luncheon christ six no one having shot at us from the hills or blown up a bridge we raced into Tegucigalpa in the early afternoon everyone in the capital was awaiting the revolution but the city remained unperturbed it was an old weather-beaten town a river wandered through it bordered by high cement walls and spanned by an aged stone bridge of many arches the streets were hilly sidewalks might be level but after one had followed them for a certain distance one was apt to find himself ten feet above the driveway sometimes able to descend by a flight of steps but usually forced to jump or retrace his way the houses were aged and bullet scarred if any of them had been constructed within the past forty years the climate had quickly given it an appearance of venerability the central plaza was unattractive 
there were a few palms and much purple bougainvillea but they were surrounded by a rickety railing green with mildew and interspersed with unattractive monuments the buildings facing the plaza were of nondescript architecture on one side was a yellowed cathedral with several varieties of weeds sprouting in niches originally intended for images of the saints on another was a row of arched portales of flimsy wooden structure housing several courtrooms a barber shop a fashionable club and a number of cheap saloons on the other two sides were stores the most imposing edifice in the city was the presidential palace it stood upon the river bank towering above massive ramparts like an ancient feudal castle from its loop-holed walls machine-guns could sweep the old spanish bridge and from its windows the president could maintain a watchful eye upon the national treasury across the street a dilapidated old building whose contents at the moment consisted principally of a national debt why any one should fight for possession of this city with its depleted finances was a mystery later explained the government took in eight million pesos last year said a well-posted american resident and only spent five million yet it describes itself as penniless and pays only the soldiers and police keeping such employees as the school teachers waiting six months for their salaries three million pesos almost half the country's receipts have disappeared that's why everybody is constantly squabbling for the presidency of the republic that's why Tegucigalpa remains the most ramshackle capital in central america seven the current political controversy was but a typical incident in the history of honduras the term of president rafael lopez gutierrez had come to an end during his two and a half years of office he had weathered thirty-three insurrections he was ready to retire but his fellow politicians although they had already prospered to the extent of three million pesos demanded that he follow the central american custom of turning over his office to one of their own group in order that their prosperity might continue and the president gave his support to his personal friend bonilla at the elections recently held there had arisen two other candidates carias and arias through some oversight the president had allowed a few of their supporters to help in the counting of the ballots as a result carias led with fifty thousand votes arias followed with thirty five thousand and bonilla the presidential favorite bringing up the rear with only twenty thousand and although carias led he failed to receive the absolute majority required by the constitution to ensure his election it therefore devolved upon congress to choose one of the three and congress favored arias to sum up the situation the people preferred one candidate congress another and the president another a revolution appeared inevitable the president had declared martial law soldiers were everywhere one could distinguish them from civilians because they carried rifles and because when there were two or more of them they marched one behind the other in the centre of the street sometimes in cadence a few had blue uniforms a few had khaki most of them wore whatever garments they happened to be wearing when drafted many were soldiers of fortune from neighbouring countries professional scrappers called in by a president who knew that his people were against him 
they would stop me on the street occasionally to ask that i lend them a peseta twenty-five cents until payday but they impressed me as a doubtful risk the city was ablaze with election slogans scribbled with chalk upon every doorway viva arias viva carias amueto bonilla translated into live arias live carias and death to bonilla they seemed indicative of the earnest nature of central american political campaigns all three candidates were now in the city each had a troop of his followers living at his residence for protection one who was stopping at the principal hotel was surrounded by twenty armed gunmen who sat about the bar-room and the lobby scanning everybody who entered and ready to take a precautionary shot at a member of another party each had spies watching the others to see that they did not slip out of town to some assembly point in the mountains some day one of them would do it in the meantime the president in office kept a close eye on all three from time to time a detachment of soldiers would come marching through the town bringing to prison a party of conspirators caught hatching insurrections in the neighboring villages the american minister franklin morales was holding daily conferences at the legation bringing the candidates together in an effort to reach an agreement each took turns making speeches about his love of honduras his aversion to bloodshed and his earnest hope that the muddle might be solved peacefully when asked for a specific suggestion as to the solution each seemed to think that it could be most satisfactorily achieved by the withdrawal of the other two candidates meanwhile everyone in tegucigalpa ripped up the boards of his floor brought out the rifle and ammunition secreted for such an emergency and waited for the fireworks and the time-scarred old capital seemed to be saying to itself another revolution can't do me any harm but when i inquired as to just when the fireworks would start it developed that a revolution was as undependable as transportation facilities had been who knows senor perhaps the day after tomorrow perhaps the day after then quien sabe end of chapter fourteen part one